so we're uh, doing things in a slightly different order today. So, slightly shorter sermon. I'm disappointed. <laughs> Sound disappointed. Yes. I'll make up for it next time. But, um, and one or two bits we may have seen before. So, trying to bring a few things together today on the idea of, uh, well, let, before I say that, whose birthday is it today? Do you know? Church. Hey! So, the guy from Illinois, come on, you lot from Lynn. He's miles ahead of you. He's jet-lagged. And he, it's the birthday of the church, over 2,000 years old today. And actually, we'll be talking about that in a minute, that chapter of the story where the church is born. Uh, normally, when we have a birthday, we have fire, candles, and we blow them out. And actually, when the church was born, there was also wind and fire in, the diff- in a different order. In fact, it was a, a strange incident occurred. And uh, the disciples were gathered, they were waiting, not sure what we're waiting for, but Jesus told us to wait. And then there's the sound of a rushing wind, but it's not a wind. There's flames of fire, but it's not just fire. And the Holy Spirit descends on people. And uh, for the first time in history, the Holy Spirit is generally given to anybody who wants God's Holy Spirit. Anybody who wants that. And uh, these uh, unlearned, uneducated men from Galilee, who never went to school most of them laborers, fishermen, they suddenly start speaking in all these complex languages from around the world. And people who hear it say, hey, what's going on? These guys, they've never been to school. We've got the, all these degrees and they're speaking all these languages. What's happening? Some say, well, they've just had too much to drink. But then Peter stands up and says, no, that's not what it's about. Listen. Let's read the passage. Um, it's from Acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 17. If you want to find it, if anyone wants, wants to call out the page number in the church Bibles, that would be good. 1032. 1032, thank you. Or on your phones or whatever, let's read this together. This is the uh, NIV version. So, and, and it's the day of Pentecost, which is a Jewish, which was a Jew, and still is a Jewish festival that occurs 50 days, Pente, after Passover. Passover and Easter occur at the same time. So Christians have adopted the name Pentecost as well. And it's actually 10 days after Jesus' ascension as well. So when the day of Pentecost came, they, the 11 disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, it's a summary of what they were saying. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, 
and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And the passage continues, but we'll stop there. So, what is this spirit that God, that Joel spoke about many hundreds of years before and that comes on this day of Pentecost and that we talk about especially today? Who or what is this Holy Spirit? Is it uh, an it? Is, there, is it a piece of God? Is it another God? Is it an it? Is it he? Is it she? And what does this Holy Spirit do? And as uh, just one theologian and author, you may have read his book, is it Knowing God from many years ago, James Packer, says... Uh, Christians are in no doubt as to what Christ did, but the average Christian is in a complete fog as to what the Holy Spirit does. That we know about Jesus and we get that because we, we've got, we draw pictures of him and we show him on a cross. You know, surely he looked like that. He didn't, but we can imagine him more easily, can't we? And we think of God the Father somewhere in heaven, but, but what's the Holy Spirit? What's that part? And indeed, it's not just the church today that is confused, that actually... Uh, as, far, as a lot way back as the New Testament, churches didn't know who the Holy Spirit was. In fact, uh, it's recorded in uh, Acts chapter 19 that Paul, travelling through what would now be Turkey, comes to the city of Ephesus, hundreds and hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, and he goes there to spread the gospel, but there's already a church there he didn't know about. So he finds some Christians. He says, this is great, you're Christians. They go, yeah. And he goes, you've got a church. They go, yeah. He goes, have you received the Holy Spirit? They go, no. And that fact, they say something much funnier than that. They say, we've never heard of him. Who's the Holy Spirit? Read the passage, just quickly. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they replied, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Never heard of him. So it's not just uh, the church today that gets into confusion on the Holy Spirit. So, very briefly then, we've talked about the strange incident. Let's talk about the unusual person of the Holy Spirit. Who is this person, briefly? What does he do? So, he is a person of the Trinity. One of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll use that phrase later when we come to the baptism, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But this person of the Holy Spirit doesn't just appear at Pentecost. In fact, this person of the Spirit is there right at the beginning Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And this, uh, I think I've said this before here, but this word that's used for Spirit of God is ruach. It's a Hebrew word, it's a feminine word. And the actual word of hovering actually is also translated as brooding. So you get this idea of the Spirit of God brooding over the face of the deep at the beginning of time. As a mother broods. And this heart of God, this evocative heart of God we see in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Brooding. What, what were all these things that are to come that are yet to pass? 
What will happen to them? How will they manage? It will be so difficult for them, and it will be more difficult for us. This going on at right at the beginning of Genesis. And literally, this is the Spirit of God. We speak of a person's spirit as though it's their personality. And in some ways, in many ways, this is the personality of God who can live in each of us. The personality of God who can live in each of us. So we, we say that person has, um, or in the past at least, we would have said phrases like, they have a joyful spirit, or they have a bubbly spirit, or something like that. It describes the person, doesn't it? So this Holy Spirit describes the person of God, showing us the very heart of God. <coughs> so the Holy Spirit tells us of God's heart, and uh, Jesus actually describes the Holy Spirit also as the comforter, which is a big clue isn't it, as to why I'm giving you this spirit, why I'm giving you my own personality to live in your person, in your persona, that we can have the heart of God as put in our heart. So then, if that's who, he, who the Holy Spirit is, roughly, what does this person of the Holy Spirit do? Just roughly, at a, at a very high level, what does this Holy Spirit do? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit keeps us close to God. Remember, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter, the Advocate, the Friend. This Holy Spirit keeps us close to God. As long as we continue our part, meeting together, worshipping, reading his word, doing acts of service. And even Jesus, sorry, here's a, a verse from Romans about how the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Spirit helps us. We do not know even what to pray for sometimes. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Even Jesus uh, needed the Holy, God's Holy Spirit. And Jesus, it says in Luke chapter 4, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And actually, there are many passages in the Gospels that spoke, speak of the Spirit in conjunction with Jesus. And we often gloss over it because we focus on Jesus. So Mark, Matthew 19, Jesus full of the Spirit lifted his lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned but revealed them to children. The Holy Spirit is there. And we often don't kind of get that because we're focused on Jesus or what God has done, God the Father. So the first thing, God, Jesus, uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit keeps us close to God. The second thing is, Galatians chapter 5, many of you will know this, the Holy Spirit develops our character so that our characters become more like Jesus, literally, more like Jesus. So Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The greatest gift is love. The greatest calling for Christians is to love. Paul makes that clear in Corinthians. Jesus said the way that people will know you Christians is because you love one another. Never mind all the other things. Love one another. That is our greatest calling. Joy, the ability to actually be joyful, to bring a, be a bringer of peace, to be able to step aside from the world and find peace. Patience, especially with those people who wind us up the most. This is a fruit of the Spirit. I'm still waiting for that one. <laughs> We're all still waiting for all of these, aren't we? But, but we grow day by day. And I, what I've found is that um, God shows me things now, which if he'd shown me them 30 years ago when I became a Christian, I would have dropped dead out of horror. Say, you know, I'm that bad, you know, but, but God refines us. It's a refining fire year by year, decade by decade. Kindness, the ability to be able to do random acts of kindness, not because we owe them, but because of who God is and who we are. Goodness, the ability to be able to see good in other people. 
and to be an instrument for God's goodness, uh, faithfulness, persistence, loyalty, starting with something and continuing with it. Loyalty to the story that we're talking about today. Gentleness, the ability to actually step aside from uh, foolish arguments, step back and be gentle. And self-control from temptation, from anger. These are all fruits of the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit is developing in our characters as Christians, if we allow him. And then the last thing, the fruit of the Spirit also, the Spirit brings us ability, uh, uh, empowers the church with gifts to serve and empowers Christians individually with gifts to serve. There are many gifts across the Bible that you'll find gifts of of healing, gifts of preaching, of teaching, of leading, of administration, of organisation. Some of the less that we speak about less, so um, I, 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 like the, I love this one from Exodus. Holy Spirit, God's talking about his spirit to the people way back in the Old Testament. And he says, I filled this fellow, Obed or Oleb or something, there's two of them. I filled him with the spirit of God to make artistic designs for wood in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Some of you are very gifted at engaging with materials and crafts, that can be a gift of the Spirit. So three things the Spirit helps us to do. And then perhaps ask the question, this is Jesus's, uh, one of Jesus's references to the Holy Spirit, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a friend, to help you and to be with you, to help us and to be with us. That's God, as uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, you are the temple. You are now the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And interestingly also, that is actually you plural, if you look at it. So we together, if you think about that, are the temple of God's Spirit. It's you plural. So what if there was no Holy Spirit? Let's just ask that question. If the Holy Spirit never came, what difference? Well, there would be no gifts and no fruit, would there? But also, uh, there would be no Bible. It's the Holy Spirit who... The church went through very turbulent times after Pentecost, very turbulent times for hundreds of years, with all kinds of ideas and heresies about Jesus, And because it's complicated. We take it for granted now. This is why Jesus died. Jesus was God and was man. That, that was a, 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 a doctrine that was debated for hundreds of years. How can that be? Uh, and the, the, it, was the, it was men and women, the church fathers and the church mothers, who actually brought us, eventually, the Bible and said, no, this is the canon of Scripture, which we now just take as the Bible. And, and it's through the, the inspiration of the Spirit that they did that. So there'd be no Bible. There would also be no real agreement on what Christians believe. Because those same men and women who brought us the Bible also brought us the creeds of the church. We don't use them much. We use them occasionally. But the creeds are actually, here's what I believe. We believe. We believe God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and his only son, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And many of you will know that liturgy. If you have any liturgical background, you'll know that. Um, but that's, those creeds were given to us, again, around the fourth century, what Christians believe. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, there probably wouldn't be any Christians. Because as much as work as we do, and we are called to be evangelists, to, to, to preach repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus, that's one of Grace's verse in Matthew 28. Um, we are told to do that, but it's only the Holy Spirit who can convict in the end. It's only the Holy Spirit who can convince in the end. Our job is to be an instrument, but it's God who does that. Okay, so 
Lastly, we've talked about a strange incident at Pentecost. We've talked about an unusual person. Lastly, I'm going to talk about one aspect of Pentecost that isn't often covered, which is there was quite a long wait as well. Let's talk about waiting. So if we ask God for something, or ask God for his Holy Spirit, how do we receive that? How do we receive that? Surely, we just ask and wait, right? Easy, isn't it? Simples. That's all we do. But no, it isn't actually, is it? It's actually really hard. And many of you, and us, and I, we're we're praying for the same things often, and waiting for God to do that. Waiting and waiting. It's not easy. Waiting isn't easy. The disciples had to wait at Pentecost. And let me just, uh, in 90 seconds, show you some of the waits that have happened through the Bible. And what I want you to remember throughout these waits is that God promised something, and he always delivered it. God promised something, there was a wait, but he always delivered it. See, right back, if we go back to Exodus again, uh, where the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt, <clears throat> crying out to God, get us out of here. Aren't you the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob? God left them there for 400 years. It's a big wait. It's a long time to wait. And even when God brought them out, came out with, with, with joy and with treasures of Egypt, and went out to the desert, isn't it great? God has brought us out. Let's go. Let's go. And what do they do? They wander around the desert for 40 years. Another long wait. But God brought them through to the promised land. God did what he promised. And even when they're in the promised land, around AD 590, 600 years, to about 530, 40, God allows Babylon, now Iraq, to overpower them. Because there's so much wrong with Israel, God allows the Babylonians to take them into exile. And that's crushing. What's happened? We're the people of God. What about, as uh, um, Gideon says in Judges, what about all the signs and wonders as he brought us out of Egypt? Where are they? God allows them to be captive for the second time in their history. Israel becomes slaves again, this time in Babylon, for 70 years. And that's a long wait by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down and we think about those songs that we used to sing. Wasn't it great? But what's happened now? It's all, it's all, it's all fallen apart. But God brought them out of Babylon as he said he would. But they had to wait. And uh, I suggest the biggest wait, the biggest Bible wait, I think, is the wait between Old Testament and New. It's only one page. You turn from Malachi to Matthew, oh, it's only one page. (laughs) But there's 400 years pass, actually, in that period of time. And 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 I think that people might have been asking the questions... This is a, you know, it's all gone quiet. Where are the prophets? Where are all those books that we're supposed to be writing? Why, why is God silent? Where's God gone? It's a long wait. But then, along comes Jesus. Now, we know that. We know Jesus was coming because we can look back at the Old Testament through the New. But they didn't know that. They just had to wait. It was hard. And even Jesus waited for the start of his ministry. And today, we wait as well for Jesus' second coming. So let's bring it back. Jesus asked the disciples to wait, and I will do something. That's a hard thing to ask them to do. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's a roller coaster ride for these guys. They're up here, then there's Good Friday, and they're just six foot under. 
And then suddenly Jesus appears again. It's like, Jesus, you're alive. Isn't it fantastic? Let's go and tell people. Jesus says, wait. But Jesus, you're alive. Look. And you, death has been defeated. Love has won. Let's tell everybody. Wait, says Jesus. But you told us, baptize in the name of Jesus. Matthew 28 is there. Wait. Wait. Just wait. Just hold on, says Jesus. You have to wait. Because if you don't wait, you, I can't empower you. Just wait. So this day then of Pentecost, we get to finally, from Exodus, we're on this day of Pentecost. This is the story, isn't it? This is our story. And the disciples are waiting. What are they waiting for? They don't know. They just, Jesus told them to wait. They don't know what's going to happen. Can you imagine they sat there just praying, Lord, what are we waiting for? I don't know. What are we waiting for? You don't know. Just wait. Just pray. Whatever you're going to do, which we're waiting for, which we don't know, or when it's going to happen, we're, we're, we're waiting. And, and they're praying like we do sometimes. We're just waiting. But God did it. God did it. But they had to wait. So sometimes God will ask you to wait, and me. And it's not easy. Sometimes God will ask us to wait until we are ready, which is hard enough. Sometimes God may even, does actually use the wilderness experience of waiting to heighten our dependency on him. He will use that experience to heighten our dependency on him. God asks us to wait until we're ready, but even harder than that, God will sometimes wait until he is ready. He is the Lord of time. He created time itself. So he's not bound by time. A thousand years or as a day. It's not easy. And we wait in expectancy. We wait. 